Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This month's mega episode will feature one long, festive Christmas story. Cole is an awkward young man. He's scrawny, shy, and has a strained relationship with his parents. So when he arrived at college and met his new, outgoing, and cool roommate, Triss, he couldn't help but feel optimistic. Things go well, until Christmas break rolls around, and Triss invites him to spend it with him and his parents. I mean, it's Christmas. What can possibly go wrong? Written by Leroy Cross James, aka Reddit user Leroy Zombie. Here is, I stayed with my roommate and his parents over the holidays. I was so nervous and excited about starting college. I didn't really have a great time in high school. Who did? I didn't have a lot of friends and... God, I hate talking about myself like this. Blah blah blah, right? Anyway, I was just glad to begin a fresh start in a place where people didn't know me at all. I thought it would be refreshing to walk down a corridor without being called a freak every single day. But I won't bore you, let alone myself, with the details of my pre-college teen trauma. Not right now, anyway. I got accepted into Creekwood University, majoring in American Literature. Creekwood, for those who have never been, is like some sort of utopia. It's honestly one of the prettiest places I've ever seen, and that alone sold me on my choice when I decided to apply. I went to one of those college open days and decided then and there that Creekwood would be the place for me. Shallow, I know, but when you're a small town boy, anything else will do. My parents begrudgingly drove me to Creekwood on a Friday. It was a massive inconvenience to my father, who said he had far too much work to do. The whole way there, my mother dropped hints about how hungry she was, and how she could use a coffee, but my father ignored her in between work calls. Despite the five-hour drive, with no food stops or bathroom breaks, my parents couldn't wait to make the journey back home. They helped me with my bags upstairs in such a haste. I saw other students cringe from their crying mothers and their camera-happy fathers. My mother scanned the room I was staying in and simply said, I can't believe this is what we're paying for. Just like that, they were gone. No emotional goodbyes necessary. After they left, I ended up collapsing onto one of the bare mattresses. I was too tired from the trip to even unpack yet, and I assumed my roommate had not arrived, judging by the bare room. I don't know when I dozed off, or for how long, but I was woken up by someone poking me in the chest. In my hazy state, I saw a dark-haired guy towering over me, furrowing his brows. I'm a bit of a grouch when I wake up, so my first instinct was to punch him in the shoulder. Ow! He cried. Dude, I was just trying to wake you up. There's no need for violence. 
Disoriented, I shot up from the bed and held my hands over his shoulder like I was some sort of healer. I'm... I'm... I'm so sorry. I, uh... It's okay, he mumbled, rubbing his shoulder a little bit more than he really needed to. I have zero upper body strength, so I know I didn't hit him that hard. That was the first time I saw his infectious grin. The type of grin that could get someone out of trouble, because you couldn't help but grin back at him. Good reflexes, though. I'm Triss, by the way. I'm your roommate, in case you hadn't already guessed. Or maybe I'm a psycho who just broke into your room. I'll let you decide. I'm Cole, I said, extending my hand, which he grabbed with force and then used to pull me into a hug. A bro hug, that's what he called them. His phrase, not mine, by the way. We would have a lot of those as we got to know one another. I wasn't a massive hugger, as you can imagine with what little background I've shared so far, but he turned me into one straight away. With him only, at least. So, I've got to grab the rest of my stuff, and then I need to grab something to eat, because I am absolutely starving. Do you want to come along? I stared at him, slightly bewildered, because no one had ever invited me to have dinner with them. Ever. Especially within minutes of meeting. Um... He rolled his eyes. Look, it's on me, and I don't like eating alone, so please don't make me beg. Triss clasped his hands together like he was praying and pleaded at me to agree. I know he didn't need me to eat with him. He was just being friendly and trying to make a good impression, I guessed. I don't really have a choice, do I? Awesome. <laughs> okay, so first I'm going to need some help getting my shit upstairs. I paid a guy a fiver to watch it, so it's probably been stolen by now. But if it hasn't, can you give me a hand with it? Triss had already walked out of the door before I agreed, so I followed. Even as we walked down the halls, which was full of students and parents carrying duvets and cardboard boxes, he greeted people he didn't even know. He raised his hand, awaiting high fives from strangers, and some even attempted to reciprocate whilst carrying heavy items, which caused them to drop them, of course. Triss exuded this I-don't-give-a-damn attitude and confidence from day one. It made him so popular. Everyone loved him. From day one, I even loved him. Triss and I became best friends instantly. We spent most of our free time together just hanging out, playing Xbox, watching movies, etc. Our other friends barely saw us unless we were together. Even when we should have been studying, he'd tempt me into going out or hanging out with some of the other guys from American literature. I got a job working in some independent superstore a few weeks after starting college, and on my third week, Triss got bored. Because he didn't have me around as much, he called the store and pretended to be my brother. My shift supervisor came up to me while I was stacking a shelf with a glum face. I honestly thought I was about to get fired or something. Um, Triss, your brother's on the phone. Something's happened to your grandmother. I didn't question it. I knew who would be on the phone. 
My supervisor led me to the office, saying she'd give me some privacy and close the door. As soon as she did, I picked up the receiver to hear Tris snickering like a child on the other end. Ugh, you're such a dick, I said. I can't believe you're Ferris Buellering me right now. We literally watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off the night before, so it wasn't hard to work out where he had gotten the idea from. <laughs> You're totally getting fired. I bet you were all like, I don't have a brother, weren't you? I'm not as gullible as you think, I said. Excellent. I'll come and pick you up then, Tris said, sounding very pleased his plan had worked. Okay, uh, start crying. You can cry on command, right? To keep his idle hands and mind busy from making bad decisions like that again, I ended up convincing him to apply for a job at the superstore. He even charmed his way onto the same shifts as me. During our shift, I worked and he mostly just talked to me while I worked. But I didn't mind. It made it so much more fun. By the time Christmas break came around, I got a phone call from my parents telling me that they would not be able to come pick me up. They decided to go and see my dad's brother for Christmas, but that they would leave a key with the neighbor and they would transfer me some money for food and a train ticket so I could get home. I honestly wasn't even disappointed. Although I would have free reign of my house, I decided to stay at the dorm because, quite frankly, I preferred it to being home. When I told Tris, he was so angry with my parents for basically abandoning me during the holidays. That is cold. Why can't you go see your uncle too? He asked. To be honest, I could have. But if I wasn't even invited, why would I even ask? I really don't care. I hate Christmas anyway, and I'd rather stay here. There's a couple of other people who are sticking around, plus I can work more shifts and get double time, so... It was very rare that Triss got pissed off. I could tell he was not only angry, but upset. He knew I didn't have a close relationship with my parents, and he just couldn't fathom why. If I'm telling the truth, I couldn't exactly pinpoint a reason myself. Then I'm staying with you, he said abruptly. No, please, you can't do that. Your parents will be heartbroken. He shrugged, furiously grabbing his dirty clothes and socks off the floor and throwing them into the basket. Something I usually ended up doing for him, but he didn't know what to do with himself. His emotions were all over the place. I'll just invite them here. I'll even cook them dinner. Can you even cook? I asked. No, but I'll do it anyway because I'm not leaving you here by yourself. In the end, Triss's parents insisted we both come to them for Christmas. No questions asked and no excuses. That was their response when Triss told them I wasn't going home. I also think it was so he didn't burn the dorms down by attempting to roast a turkey. I was so overwhelmed that I went to the bathroom to cry. While I was in there, Triss knocked on the door. Dude! I shouted, acting like I was doing something other than sitting there. 
Sorry, he whispered behind the door. But, uh, I just wanted to say I'll make sure you have a good Christmas with us. I'm really happy you're coming with me. You'll love my parents, and my house is huge, and there's so much to do. And it's, honestly, Cole, I'll make sure it's the best Christmas you've ever had. Love you, bro. I'm not a crier, but this sort of generosity was a lot for me to handle. I wasn't used to it, and I'd never experienced it before. Not like this. <clears throat> uh, me too, man. I said behind a cough to clear the chokehold inside my throat. There was a silence between us. I wiped my tears away, and I could have sworn I heard him sniff away some of his own. <clears throat> anyway, can you hurry up in there? Some of us need to jerk off too. And just like that, he was back to good old Triss. Most of the other students had already gone home by December 18th. It was so strange to be in the common room when it was so quiet, but there were still a few other students who stayed there for the holidays. Myself and Tris were not leaving until the 23rd, and I wanted some extra cash, so I put myself down to work up until then. Although Tris didn't need the cash, he took on the same shifts too. The night before we were due to leave, we had the night off, so I made sure we were all packed and ready for the morning so we could just chill out for the evening. Although I was immersed in this weird documentary we were watching, I noticed that Triss was staring into space rather than watching it. He'd been like this since I put the documentary on. What's wrong, dude? I asked him. Snapping out of his trance, he turned to me and gave me a half-assed smile. Oh, nothing. Triss? He put his hand on my shoulder and gave it a little rub. I'm just happy to have a friend like you. Brother, I said, correcting him. He nodded, even though I wasn't convinced that was what he was thinking about. But I left it at that. It took him several minutes before he went back into the trance again. I couldn't sleep that night. I was so anxious about meeting Triss's parents and staying in their house. Well, it was in a state, actually. It just felt awkward spending Christmas with people I didn't know. Sure, I know I'd be with Triss, but I knew his family was well off, and I had all these perceptions about how they would act or be. Boy, was I wrong. Triss drove us to the Warrener estate early in the morning. It took us about three hours, and, of course, Triss made the journey fun with a playlist full of 70s and 80s tunes he could sing badly to. He loved music, especially from those decades. Triss lived in a town called Silver Oaks, which I had never heard of. It was an artsy town, apparently, that thrived on farming and old money. The outskirts contained huge country houses, and a lot of oak trees. I spotted an old radio tower that looked down on the town from the woods. The whole area looked picturesque due to the heavy snowfall. Impressed? Triss asked, grinning at me. 
something like that. I said, This place is absolutely stunning. Don't let the postcard image fool you. Some weird shit happens here. Like what? We're just up ahead. Brace yourself. We drove through two huge iron gates, and when we drove down the drive, I was blown away by the size of the estate. It looked like something from a period drama or something, and the fact that it was covered in snow only made it more magnificent. Outside the huge black double doors stood Mr. and Mrs. Warner, waving as we drove closer to the house. When we got out of the car, they walked straight over to greet us. Mr. Warner was a huge man, tall and obviously spent a lot of time in the gym, or at least he used to. He was very clean cut, and I could smell his expensive aftershave before he even shook my hand. Cole, <laughs> we've heard so much about you. Yes, we're so happy you'll be spending the holidays with us, Mrs. Warner said while she embraced Triss in her arms. I'd never seen anyone as beautiful as Mrs. Warner. She reminded me of a model in one of my mother's magazines. I noticed how surgically pristine her makeup was and how there were no flyaways on her long dark hair and she looked so young. I did suspect she may have had a bit of help with that. Come on, let's get you boys inside, it's freezing out here. Inside was very modern, far from what you'd expect in terms of decor and color scheme, judging from the outside. I was far too afraid to even sit down. There was a lot of floor-to-ceiling length windows in the living room, and it was painted in neutral tones that somehow didn't make it feel bland. It was very homely, accompanied by an already lit fire. I caught Triss looking at me, and he seemed so happy to see my mouth wide open reaction. Make yourself at home. I'll take your shit. He stopped mid-sentence when Mrs. Warner raised her eyebrow at him. Sorry, our stuff upstairs. Triss and Mr. Warner disappeared with our duffel bags up the huge staircase at the front of the house. I still couldn't bring myself to sit down, plus Mrs. Warner didn't move from where she stood. She stared at me with a warm smile, but it was a smile that made me feel awkward, so I broke the ice. I can't thank you enough for this, letting me stay here, I mean. It was very, very kind of you. It's no trouble at all, she said as she approached me. I had the strangest feeling when she rubbed her hand on my shoulder. The gesture made my heart pound, not because it was awkward, but because it was something my own mother had never done. He thinks of you as family, and any family of Tristan's is family to us too. I nodded. I feel the same way. He's family to me too, I mean. Mrs. Warner released her hand from my shoulder and walked over to the door. The sound of her stilettos echoed throughout the room. Please feel free to look around. I'll go and make us all some hot chocolate, she said before walking out. I took in the room on my own. 
and as wowed as I was by everything so far, and as welcoming as the Warreners had been, I still didn't feel at home. Despite the size of the exterior, the inside of the house was easy to navigate due to the wide open rooms and huge corridors. I eventually found a study that was full of books and a pristine white piano. The bookcase had all the classics, some modern titles, and some of my all-time favorite books. There were also big square spaces in between the books with framed photographs. In every single one, it was Triss and the Warners with a different boy. They all posed like they were in family portraits, backdrops included. I guessed Triss must have been about 15 or 16 in the photos. He didn't look any different other than his hairstyle varied in each photo. I figured he must have gone through a lot of phases as a teen. How did I guess you'd be in here? I jumped back to see Triss leaning against the doorframe. He grinned like an idiot, getting a kick out of the fact that he scared me. Pretty impressive collection, huh? Impressive is a word for it, I said. This is immense. He walked over and pointed to a copy of a Dickens book. This is first edition. Cost my dad a pretty penny. He wasn't showing off. He knew I loved stuff like this. <laughs> Dude, I couldn't even imagine how much. So, who are all these guys in the photos? I asked. Triss cringed. So embarrassing. So, my parents always insisted on taking in exchange students when I was in high school, so I could learn other languages and about other cultures. They weren't even through the school program. They were university students. My parents also insisted we had photos taken together. God, that's so adorable, I said, pointing to a photo of Triss with some emo hairstyle, which earned me a middle finger in return. I counted up the photos, and there were at least 12 of them. Do you still keep in contact with any of them? Through Facebook with some, but mostly no. To be fair, they only stayed here for like three weeks at a time, and we really didn't talk much after that. I don't even know why my parents bother to keep the photos up. Triss sighed, examining the pictures, almost like he was seeing them for the first time. Hey, I haven't even shown you my room yet. Come on. Things are going pretty well for Cole so far. Christmas in the beautiful countryside, in an impressive mansion, all with your best bro. But, dear listener, you should know by now, things never end that neatly here at the Nope Too Creepy podcast. Before we jump back into the story, I just want to make a really quick shameless plug. If you're enjoying this story, or if you've become a regular listener, it would help greatly if you help spread the word by sharing an episode with a friend or leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Word on the street is Spotify is even going to start allowing ratings and reviews soon, but at the time of this recording, sadly, it's not there. Regardless of where you leave one, 
Doing so will help the show find new listeners. And that just might give me the opportunity to create more and more content. Everybody wins. Anyway, that's enough self-promotion for now. Let's get back to the story. Triss practically dragged me out of the room and across the hall, which had a circular window in the center that reminded me of the famous Amniaville house. Triss's bedroom was absolutely huge, with a super king-sized bed and an end-suite bathroom and a mini living room area. It was at least four times bigger than our dorm room. So, bedroom options, he said, clapping his hands together. You can either take one of the guest rooms. My sofa pulls out into a bed too, or you can just share with me. It's up to you. Um, I don't even know what to say. Awesome. <laughs> you can stay in here then, he decided. I'm too used to having you around. I don't know if I could sleep without you being close to me. <laughs> I put my arm around his shoulder and gripped him into a headlock. Ah, shucks. Christmas Day with Triss and his family was amazing. Well, it started off that way. When I woke up, I was surprised to see a pile of gifts with my name on the tags. And when I say a pile, I mean a mound. I opened them with a sickly feeling in my stomach. Video games, books, a new laptop. Honestly, it was insane. Mr. and Mrs. Warner, I can't accept these. Triss sighed. Actually, they're all from me. Those extra shifts came in handy after all. I felt bad that all I got him was one video game. One that he'd actually gotten for me, too. I didn't know what to say. Triss, this is... Yeah, yeah, I love you, too he said, wrapping his arm around me, while Mr. and Mrs. Warner smiled at us admirably. The atmosphere was something I had never known. Mr. and Mrs. Warner cuddled up together, Triss with his hair all matted, ripping through presents like an actual child on Christmas morning, not to mention the Christmas songs that played in the background and the sweet smell of spiced apple that filled the room, or the size of the tree that rested in the corner, decorated like it was for a window display. I was so used to Christmas mornings being short and sweet. My mother would be in the kitchen making dinner. My father would sit working on his laptop. When I would open up my presents, there was never any joy from either of them. They just saw it as a box they felt they needed to tick. I did, at least. That's how it always felt. Later on, I stepped outside to call my parents and wish them a Merry Christmas. It was my mother who I decided to call, knowing that she would actually pick up. My father was always ignoring my calls or texts. Merry Christmas, I mumbled when she answered. You too, she said, distracted. Did you get into the house okay? I frowned. I told you. I was spending Christmas with Triss. Didn't you get my messages? There was a long pause on the phone, 
why are you inconveniencing someone else? You could have just come home. We were going to surprise you tomorrow and come home and cook you dinner. <sighs> For God's sakes, Cole. It's not my fault you didn't read my messages. I'm sorry, but I didn't exactly want to sit at home alone with a frozen lasagna. You know what? Merry Christmas, Cole. She hung up. I threw my phone into the snow, wanting to scream, to hit something. Her reaction didn't surprise me. Somehow I knew she would ruin this day for me. She always did, one way or another. Is everything okay, Cole? I turned around to see Mrs. Warriner standing by the back door with a cigarette in her mouth, cuddled up in a black mink coat. I didn't even hear her come out, and I'd wondered how long she'd been standing there listening to my conversation. She noticed my eyes immediately drawn to her cigarette. They both think I've quit. Our secret, okay? I nodded. Of course. So, you and your mother had a fight? She asked, taking a long drag. I shuffled some snow with my feet, feeling a little embarrassed. I'm sorry they didn't want to spend Christmas with you. There was something in her tone. I wouldn't call it disgust for my parents, but she didn't say it with any respect for them. I'm glad you're here instead. I met Mrs. Warriner's eyes. Although she'd been warm to me, I detected something in them that night, something that unnerved me. I reached down into the snow where I threw my phone and picked it up. The frost stung my knuckles. I'm gonna go back inside. I'm freezing. Cole? Yeah? She seemed to hesitate, taking a drag from her cigarette, before she asked, Do you think your parents love you? It took a moment. It felt like being winded. I tried to read her, indicate what her intention was for asking me that, as blunt as she had. There was no regret in her asking the question. That was clear. She crossed the line, and Mrs. Warriner knew it. I could tell by the way her expression did not change. Excuse me. I mumbled as I marched past her and made my way back into the house. We spent the rest of the evening watching some TV. Mr. and Mrs. Warriner cuddled up together on the sofa and laughed at the unfunny parts of whatever it was we were watching. I can't even remember. I was glad when Tris suggested we go upstairs to do our own thing. He even managed to sneak up a bottle of wine for us to share. In his room, we opened the bottle and shared sips. Okay, he said abruptly. What the hell is wrong with you? You've been a misery all evening. Is it your parents? Sort of, I mumbled, taking the bottle and having a massive swig. I avoided eye contact with him. Triss rolled his eyes and snatched the bottle from me, slamming it down a little too hard on the glass table. Fuck them, Cole. Fuck them. I squinted my eyes 
uh, attempting to speak. And what? I stood over Triss, feeling blood bubble all over me. Do you know what? Who the hell are you to disrespect my parents? Triss's eyes widened, and he started to bite on his thumbnail. Um, I, I just... Just what? His eyes focused on the bottle of wine. The liquid still squishing at the top from how hard he slammed it down. I saw the cogs turning in his head. I may have only known him for three months, but we'd spent that much time together that I knew what was coming next. You've had too much to drink. Maybe we should just call it a night. I nodded, pouting my lips. Yeah, maybe we should. I'm going to go and sleep across the hall. I picked up my phone and stormed out of Triss's room. Instead of objecting or trying to stop me, he just picked the bottle back up and drank from it. I didn't bother to close the door behind me. I tossed and turned in the guest bed. Obviously, I felt like shit about snapping at Triss, especially in his own house, on Christmas Day of all days. It was the question that Mrs. Warriner asked me that played in my mind. I was so fidgety that I couldn't lie down any longer, so I got out of bed and walked over to the window. The snow was coming down heavy outside, but it lit up the pathway from the pitch black sky. This side of the house looked at the Warriner's enormous garden, which I could barely see, but I found my eyes burning into the brightness of the snow until I was distracted by a flicker of light. It seemed to be a flashlight moving about, near the bottom of the gardens. I knew the Warreners usually hired help to maintain it, but I didn't see anyone else on the estate. I assumed they would have gone home for the holidays. But no, there was definitely someone down there. It was hard to make out what they were actually doing due to the heavy snowfall. I waited near the window long enough to see the flashlight coming up the path toward the house. The closer the figure got, I thought it was Mrs. Warner with a big black fur coat. She had a hood over her head and a shovel in her hand. But then I noticed the white hair that snapped into the snowy wind. It was hard to make out, but it was an older lady who struggled to keep herself upright. My initial thought was that maybe it was Triss's grandmother, but he never mentioned having one. And even if he did, why would she go that far down into the garden at night? I got close to the window to see how much more I could make out of this older woman. The closer she got to the house, the more I could just about see. As I noticed, she was not only holding a shovel, but in her other hand, a black bin liner that seemed heavy, judging by how she was pushing herself forward. She stopped herself in her tracks all of a sudden, and slowly, she bent her neck up and stared right in my direction. Her face was undetectable, indescribable in the dark, shielded by the black hood, but the way that she craned her neck up to my window 
told me she knew she was being watched. I only got a quick glimpse of her shadowed face because I jumped back from the window so I was not detected. Part of me feared it was already too late for that. She definitely saw me. I waited anxiously for about a minute before I looked down again. She was gone. But the snowy path was covered in black spots from where she had walked. They could have been footsteps. It was hard to tell without any light. It also could have been something from that trash bag. I remember how I felt a queasy ball in my stomach. It took over me all of a sudden. I told myself that it was because of everything that had happened that evening. But what it really was, was seeing that woman in the garden. It didn't make any sense, and it didn't feel right. It was my first indication that something was very wrong at the Warner estate. I woke up the next morning with an arm around me. All I had to do was look at the chewed nails to know it was Triss. The moment I raised my head, he tightened his grip around me. I tried my best to escape, but it was useless. He was actually quite strong. Nope, <laughs> he said. We're hugging this one out. Technically, we're cuddling this one out, and actually, you're suffocating me. Okay, we're cuddling this one out then. I shuffled away as he got closer. That's fine and all, dude, but your morning wood is literally poking into me. Oh, come on. Like you haven't seen it before. I started laughing. Right, but I've never felt it, and I don't think I want to start now. He chuckled as I managed to wiggle my way out of his grip. I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry too. A lot of bottled up emotions, you know. This was my first Christmas away. Cole, you don't have to explain anything to me. That's why we're friends. Brothers, he corrected. Triss stretched out on the bed, unwrapping himself from the duvet. His exaggerated pose reminded me of a commercial for memory foam or something. This bed is really comfy. Did you sleep all right? I remembered the woman in the garden and how it took me ages to fall asleep after. About an hour after seeing her, I couldn't keep still and I had to look out the window again. The snow had covered over the marks on the path. Triss, do you have a grandmother? Had, he said. I never met them. Outside, it was bright. The snow had stopped falling, but covered everything. In the daylight, I could see how far the gardens extended. What I failed to see last night was there was a graveyard at the back of the estate. I found it unusual, but I assumed generations past would have been buried there. It wasn't particularly big, but... I tried to replay the events from the night before, and that was where I first saw the flashlight moving about. Are they buried out there? Triss screwed his face up. 
morbid much? Sorry, I just assumed. Triss got off the bed and stood beside me at the window. That graveyard is ancient. Nobody's been buried there for years. My parents bought the estate from the family who owned it some time ago. It's pretty grim, I know. Apparently, this place was the definition of American Gothic before my mom remodeled it. My parents wanted to get rid of the graveyard, but they're kind of superstitious. I saw someone. An old woman, I think, out there last night. Triss shrugged. You sure you weren't dreaming? No, I saw her, I said. I could tell by Triss's face he didn't believe me, and he showed no sign of knowing who it could have been. I had no reason to believe he was lying or hiding something from me. You know what? Forget it. I was probably a little drunk. Triss smiled and gave my shoulder a light bump with his fist. It's beautiful out here, isn't it? He said, turning his attention back to the gardens. I joined him and scanned over the graveyard one more time. Breathtaking. I took a shower in the guest room, and Triss went back to his room to do the same. When I emerged out of the bathroom in nothing but a towel, I was surprised to see Mrs. Warner sitting on the bed. She sat with such a disciplined pose, legs crossed, hands rested on her knee. Mrs. Warner! I yelled, using my hands to cover my upper body. Good morning. She didn't return the greeting. Instead, she smiled. I'm sorry to disturb you unannounced. I felt I should apologize for last night. I didn't know what else to do other than sit on the armchair and hug the cushion to conceal my bare chest. Couldn't this have waited until I was dressed, I thought? Instead, I said, Oh, don't worry about it. Her face was blank. Something about her body language, her tone of voice, everything about her was totally different this morning. She even looked tired, a little less perfect. I know that's a shallow word to use, but she didn't seem like the same woman. She eventually raised herself up from the bed, and her warm smile returned. Cole, I just want you to know, I suffer from insomnia, and I get a bit restless. So if you were wondering what I was doing outside in the middle of the night, I was just taking a walk. Oh, so it was you? I asked. Mrs. Warner cocked her head and frowned. Who else would it be? I hope I didn't scare you. No, no, I said, shaking my head. I just thought it was someone else, that's all. Well, there's only four of us here, she said, as she twisted a strand of her dark hair, which seemed dull that day, with her polished finger. It was almost as if she was trying to draw my attention to it, and it only made me think of the white hair I saw on her last night. In fact, 
I was still convinced it wasn't her at all. Even in the dead of night, there was no mistake about it. It was someone completely different. Mrs. Warner and I stared at one another in silence for a few seconds, but it felt like an eternity. She finally broke it when she said, I'm going to go make us all some breakfast. She opened the bedroom door to leave, but stopped before exiting the room. She didn't turn to face me. I'm sorry again if I scared you. And then she disappeared down the corridor. The sound of her stilettos echoed through the wing. As soon as she left, I closed the door and locked it. Despite our little chat on Boxing Day morning, things were not awkward between me and Mrs. Warner. She didn't make them weird, just carried on without even a cautious glance my way. It was nothing but smiles and laughter. It ticked at the back of my head all day long. How she felt the need to say anything to me at all if she was not hiding anything. Of course, I never questioned her about the shovel or the trash bag. Why would I? It was her house after all. Tris got extremely drunk that evening. We were in his bedroom and he hadn't slowed down all day. I'd never seen him drink like that before, and it was apparent that he could not handle it. After he threw up in his bathroom, I helped him into bed. I removed his sweater, trousers, and socks for him so he could cool down. I considered getting one of his parents to come and check on him, but I thought it would only piss him off the next day. I started to walk over to the sofa bed when he held his arms out. Don't leave, he slurred with his eyes shut. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right over there. Tris licked his dry lips and shook his head side to side on the pillow. They always promise they won't leave. God, he was wasted, I thought. Who is they? My brothers, he said. You're my brother, aren't you? I know I am, I said, rolling my eyes. But something snapped in my brain that never even occurred to me. You have brothers? Had. The slits of his lids opened slightly, and he grabbed my arm. Even in his lucid state, he had a strong grip. He attempted to pull me in closer, but he couldn't quite find the strength for that. So I bowed my head down so he could whisper into my ear. You're my favorite. That night, I couldn't sleep again. One word was on my mind. Brothers. Plural. It confused the hell out of me. I wondered where they were, who they were, and what happened to them. There wasn't even a photo of them. All of the portraits and all of the photos were of the Warners and Triss. Just them together. The only other photos I'd seen without them was, of course, the ones with the exchange students. 
I don't know what possessed me, but I opened up Facebook on my phone to stalk Triss's friends list. I didn't have any names to go off of, but I would recognize some of their faces if I saw them. I spent about an hour doing this, and I had pretty much gone through every friend Triss had on there. There were some profiles with no facial pictures, but I thought it would be too much of a coincidence if it were them. All three of them had girls' names. All of the exchange students in the photos were boys. I found nothing. Triss had no reason to lie to me, so I don't know why he told me he had a few of them on Facebook. I decided to go to the guest room across the hall to look out the window to the back again. I tiptoed out of Triss's room and made my way over, but when I attempted to open the door, it was locked. I tried all of the doors on the side where the view to the back of the house would be, but again, they were all locked. I tried a few doors on the other side facing the front, and they all opened fine. It was pretty clear that Mrs. Warner had done this on purpose. I looked at the time on my phone. 12.06 a.m. The Warners would hopefully be in bed. Their room was on the other side of the house, and the study was downstairs. I just hoped Mrs. Warner wasn't planning on going for another walk. I crept down the staircase, using the flashlight on my phone to guide the way. All the lights were off in the house, and I heard no sound coming from the downstairs area. The coast was clear as I made my way into the study. The door was left open. It was strange. In the dark, the room felt eerie, cold, and very isolated. I considered turning a lamp on, but to stay on the safe side, I continued using my phone's flashlight. I flashed my phone over the pictures with the exchange students and examined them all. All of the boys were around the same age, just like Triss had confirmed when I first saw them. But I paid special attention to the Warners this time. Triss may have gone through some phases that was clear by the clothes and different hairstyles, but I couldn't fathom why the Warners also seemed to have done the same. I didn't notice it before, but there they were, in outdated clothes and strange hairstyles. This literally happened a few years ago. There was one picture where Mr. Warner was sporting a mullet and a mustache. Mr. Clean Cut, preppy Mr. Warner. I found it hard to believe. It was a gamble, and I didn't have any idea what it would achieve but my parents used to write the dates on all of their scrapbook photos. I guess that's where I got the idea from. So I picked up the photo and removed the backing. At first I doubted it. Shook my head. It was impossible. Literally impossible. On the back of the photo, it said, Kevin, 1982. I picked up another at random and did the same. Michael, 1979. Another. Derek, 1993. 
The furthest date the photos went back was 1975. And in that time, the Warreners had not aged at all. And Triss wouldn't have been born. But there he was. The same age, nearly 45 years ago. The snowfall was heavier that night. More so than the last and I was absolutely freezing when I stepped out into the gardens. I didn't bother grabbing my coat. I was already risking getting caught as it was just from being out of the room. It was pitch black, with no security light or anything to guide the way, but the path was linear, and I knew where I was going. I turned around to check that the house was still in darkness, I could barely make out the graves when I finally got to them. I didn't want to draw too much attention to myself, so I put my hand over the flashlight of my phone to read what the stone said. Nearly all of them had been spray-painted with first names over the original markings, and there was a lot of them. All boy names, and some of them I recognized from the photos upstairs. I could hear my heart in my eardrums, and I even developed hot beads on my brow despite the cold weather and snowflakes hitting my head. I felt a hot sludge of sickness travel up my throat, and I puked right onto the gravestone which had Michael sprayed on it. Triss was not referring to any deceased blood relation when he talked about his brothers earlier. It was the guys in the photos. They were his former brothers, and they were all buried in the garden, on top of old graves. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you're interested in learning more about the author, Leroy Cross James, links to connect with him can be found in the show notes. Along with all of his stories on Reddit, Leroy also has his very own podcast called Slashic Horror, so be sure to check that out too if you're interested. Dear listener, this will be one of the final uploads of 2021. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has tuned in, whether this is your first time or if you're a weekly listener. Though, obviously, if we were in a horror movie situation and I could only save one of you, I'd save the weekly listener. Like, I wouldn't even have to think twice and I wouldn't lose sleep. That's just me being real. But anyway, regardless, thank you to everyone who has given this podcast a try. Until next time, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. And wishing everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.